Hi, thank you for tuning in to the Finding Harmony podcast with me, your host, Harmony Slater. Well, hello, I'm Harmony and you're listening to the Finding Harmony podcast. And I'm thrilled you're here today. We're talking about such an interesting topic. It might not seem so interesting on the face of it, but we're really diving in deep with this one. We are chatting with a dear friend of mine, a fellow coach, health coach, Brianna Viagas, and she's talking to us about cycle syncing. She is a cycle syncing coach. And what is that? Well, that is a coach that's going to help you understand your energy levels, as well as the physiological uh, ups and downs that are going on with your hormones uh, during your menstrual cycle. And so often we think of our menstrual cycle as just something that happens once a month, and we forget that it's happening actually all month long. So in the Ashtanga Yoga tradition, Uh, This is a topic that's near and dear to our hearts. You know, we're always talking about ladies' holiday or the ladies' moon cycle. And now we're really going to look at what is this moon cycle. Just like the moon cycle where there's a full moon and a new moon. And then there's all the different uh, phases in between those two sort of peaks. Women as well go through different hormone fluctuations, which of course affect us not only physically, mentally, and emotionally um, in all kinds of ways, but they also affect our relationships as well. And so we're going to look at how to organize our days, our times, our life in a way that is going to optimize and take advantage of these different fluctuations in our hormone cycle. Hi, welcome to the Finding Harmony podcast. I'm your host, Harmony. And today... Harmony Slater. Yes. Today, I'm here with, as you heard, Russell Case. I think... I think. Do you normally say Harmony Slater? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Harmony, I, I came across a stat the other day that I thought you'd be in, in interested in. Really? And possibly intrigued by, uh, uh-huh. especially given uh, the guests that we have today. Okay. Um, I heard that uh, children of single mothers behave quite differently uh, as adults than children of a, a dual parent home. Uh, how so? So uh, sons of single moms uh, as adults participate in the cleaning duties uh, much more sig- mm. statistically significantly than uh, boys with uh, dual parents. Ah. And girls are much more likely to have careers if that they're raised with a single mom. It does make sense, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And I was, the, the painful irony is that I'm, I'm raising, I'm helping to raise uh, yes. Jediah yes. Uh, with like this mindset, like he should be cleaning, he should be, you know, making his bed, doing the yeah. dishes, doing all these things. Yeah. But he's being raised in a dual parent home and he's 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 crippled by it. <laughs> no, he's enhanced by it. No, I just feel like he should be cleaning more. But <clears throat> the, <laughs> the, the moral of this story. The other thing that I thought which was of you, really which of you is moving out. <laughs> to... Yeah, right. Which of us is moving out? Mm, Good question. Yeah. If anything, I'll just move downstairs. Um, <laughs> the the other I think interesting thing, and this is probably just more anecdotal in my own experience, is that I I also feel like 
being raised as a single mom myself, as as you know, and many of our listeners know, I was raised by uh, my mother. Yeah, raised by your single mom. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, raised in quotations. I heard that. <laughs> so, the raised, raised by my single mom is that I'm. I I think I feel like I was much more comfortable with the emotional fluctuation ah. that comes with having a female roommate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's made it, I think, uh, much easier. I think for me, just to to also. You know, ride the waves of your emotional fluctuation. Oh, I feel like yeah. it's like uh, like surfing, <laughs> like a surfing, like a like a giant um, red tide. It's important to learn how to surf those red tides. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of what we're here to talk about. Is today. it really? Kind of, yeah. yeah. Like our guest today, very special guest, is a cycle sinking coach. A cycle sinking coach? Yeah. Brianna oh Viagas. Did I say it right? Viegas. Viegas. Thank Viegas. you. I knew I was going to get it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Brianna Viegas. And tell us, oh my goodness, what is a cycle sinking coach? Yeah. So obviously it's a term that is not, you know, super common, but hopefully it's going to become more and more common. And the idea is really understanding how to uh, work with the menstrual cycle and that the menstrual cycle is more than the, you know, three to seven days that you're on your period every month, but the way that our hormones fluctuate affect the way that we show up in the world, the things that we notice, we perceive our motivation, energy, everything about who we are is also fluctuating across the whole month. And when we are ignoring that, we tend to have more symptoms, but we also get into patterns where we feel like we're fighting ourselves more and leaning more into that like hustle culture mm -hmm. um, because so much of the patterns of society and what we're told we should do and the pace we should do it at are not aligned with that female rhythm. And so understanding mm -hmm. how it works allows you to then, you know, adjust the way that you move about in the world and the way you show up so that it is more aligned and things get so much easier. Uh, I see. We love this topic. Well, I love it because <laughs> no, you love it too. Well, no, it, it reminds my mother told me this early on uh, when I was kind of trying to figure out what the fuck was going on is <laughs> she said, look, I feel uh, I feel a little weird like the week before my period, Russell. I feel pretty weird the week after my period. I feel weird during my period. So there's like two days where I feel you know, good. Okay. <laughs> I said, yes, mommy. <laughs> I think you had a kind of a similar experience to your teenage years, Brianna. Is that what brought you into this work? Yeah, definitely. My own experience um, was got me on the path. Um, so I, from my first period had very extreme symptoms, um, mostly like emotional cognitive symptoms, also cramps and everything, but in relation, they didn't seem as bad. Um, and for me, it was two weeks out of the month. We're just anxious, depressed, brain frog, brain fog, uh, intrusive wow. thoughts. Um, I kind of refer to them as like suicidal adjacent mm -hmm. um, thoughts. Many women with what I later learned, 13 years later, learned was called premenstrual dysphoric disorder and not actually the normal you know, experience of, of having a menstrual cycle. 
Um, and many women do experience suicidal ideation. Many women, um, unfortunately, uh, take their lives as a result of just having this experience month after month after month and not having any real answers. Um, and so when I discovered that this was a thing, there was definitely some relief in having a label and being like, okay, I'm not just unable to cope with this very normal process compared to my peers, um, but was also uh, disheartened by what the medical community was providing in terms of answers. Um, at the time, it was going on the pill, which I had done that. That was not a solution for me. Mm-hmm. Um, antidepressants or uh, a hysterectomy or medically induced menopause Whoa. were the, the options. And at the time, I was 23. So I knew going down the route of menopause or anything like that was, especially in the US, like that was going to be a non-starter conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and wasn't worth the fight or effort to do that, um, for, at least for me. And so I went this other route where I'm like, I've been to grad school. I've been taught how to research. Like I know how to find answers. Um, and so I just went digging until I came across this information, which was ultimately like the basics. Like this is how the female body works. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, you know, just changed so much of how not only I was going about the way that I live, but just my understanding and grace that I had with myself as well. And re mm. restating like, what is normal? What am I even trying to attain? Because I was, my goal was my super consistent, optimistic, super high energy husband, who's the same like clockwork every single day mm. yeah. and understanding that that's not even what I should be striving for because that's not, you know, the pattern that I'm on. Yeah, that's so interesting. Like having like really transforming and changing what are expectations of what are what 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 an ideal is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I like that. Um, I mean, because it's a real thing, you know. I think sometimes, um, you know, as women, it's sort of like looked upon as maybe a weakness or a defect or um, something's wrong with you. And especially like as a teenager, you don't, you're not educated on it. Nobody's talking about it. They're just like, oh, it's your time of the month. You have PMS. Like, um, you know, it's sort of like a joke, but it's, it's like a real thing that affects us. And it's not a defect and it's not a, a, a weakness. It can be used as a strength for us, I think. And and so that's something well, that's kind of interesting. Well, certainly you're much more highly skilled at uh, understanding emotional variability than a, than a male. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Yeah. So tell me what, what, what do you do? Like when, what kind of clients come to you and what do you do with them? Yeah. So right now, most of the time, people that are coming to me do have some sort of struggle with hormone imbalances or disorders. So things like PCOS, PMDD, um, and they're really looking for answers. Um, so that's who I'm working with right now. And I feel very you know, connected to that community as well. Like I've been there and I know that struggle of I'm watching this affect my relationships in my life. And that's mm-hmm. you know, not something that I'm okay with. Um, I'm not okay living this way. But at the same time, I also started this practice and wanting to bring this more into the level of like, how do we optimize the way we're living as well, Mm -hmm. not just from a healing perspective, because I also know there's so many women going about their day where it's like, okay, I PMS for a few days and, you know, I'm cramping for a few days and 
it's not at that level where they're really questioning, is this normal? Because right. for me, it was like my symptoms were so bad. The impact on you know my ability to show up at work and my relationship with my husband as a mom, mm-hmm. like all of those things were so impacted before I was even like, this can't be normal. Um, and right. wanting to shift this, that those symptoms, those things that seem like a weakness because we seem erratic or hormonal or emotional or, you know, dealing with actual pain, debilitating pain, those look like weaknesses because it's our body telling us something's wrong Mm. and not telling us that this is just, you're a woman, so this is life. Um, But that's the way that we've been taught to perceive all of those symptoms. Yeah. Even that shift that these are all signs that we need to look deeper and and we can do something about this. Um, Even the fact that the menstrual cycle is considered a vital sign. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. a shift in in terminology, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and that when you see issues in your menstrual cycle, this is that almost like first line sign that there's issues going on deeper because it does these hormones interact with every other system in your body, your metabolism, the way your neural pathways are set up, your digestion, your gut, like all of these things are interrelated. And so understanding that there's a connection there and not just like, okay, I'll just take the ibuprofen or I'll just, you know, suppress mm-hmm. or take the pill to suppress those things. Um, and really in, in taking the pill, it's almost like striving for neutral right. um, and learning yeah. that that's not the goal either. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like your body's trying to tell you something with all of these different signs and symptoms that you're experiencing. I know I always felt like... Um, you know, I'd be be more irritated about things, like little things. I always felt like it was like my true feelings about things were <laughs> coming to the surface, like, you know, and, and so I, it always happens. Yeah. It's 100%. like, oh, I really am, you know, super irritated about this thing. Like, it's like, I just can't let this go. But like during the rest of the month, I'm sort of like, oh, whatever, just like pushing it down, not thinking about it. But like at that time, it like comes up like, uh. Gnarly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And well, yeah, what happens there is all your hormones, like when you're in your period are at their lowest. And what actually happens in the brain is the connection between the two hemispheres is strongest. So you're actually Amazing. more in tune and more sensitive to essentially what your needs are. And of course, how everyone around you is crossing those boundaries Mm -hmm. that you either have or don't have and need to put in place. And so there is this heightened sensitivity to what my individual needs are. Um, And then the week after, estrogen goes up, serotonin goes up, and it acts as kind of a hormonal amnesia where you're like, okay, everything's Mm. fine. (laughs) It's like last half full, like – And so that's such a powerful time to like journal and be really like intentional with like, what are the things that are bothering me? Mm. And are these a pattern that are coming back every month? Because that's an insight into like, these are things that need to be conversations, not necessarily that week when you're heightened and you're reactive, (laughs) but this is something to come back to and is something that needs to shift as opposed to being dismissed as PMSing or being hormonal or dramatic. Because yeah. it feels so, you know, reactive. Oh, I love that. That's so interesting. You know, in this Ashtanga yoga practice, in the sort of tradition of Ashtanga yoga that a lot of our listeners practice in, mm-hmm. um, you know, women are always prescribed to take the at least three days of their menstrual cycle. So maybe the first three days or the second, third, fourth day, whichever days are the heaviest. 
um, to rest and like not do their physical asana practice, but to, you know, they can maybe do some meditation or I, I think journaling you're supposed to go or... into the hut in the backyard. <laughs> yeah. is I, was... I mean, it's based on a very ancient, um, maybe slightly superstitious uh, Indian tradition where women at that time, you know, we didn't have sanitary napkins or tampons or things like that. So women would go into a separate area of the house and like kind of were considered um I mean, I'm going to say not clean, and I'm probably going to get a lot of uh, comments from people well, saying that's not correct. But anyway, they're considered like they needed to be separate, sort of like the red tent situation, right? Mm-hmm. But um, rather than all the women congregating together, they get put well, in their own little place. What Patabi Joyce's wife would say is like, no, 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 look, look, I needed to get away from these people. <laughs> And it was for me to get away from them. That's what, and that's, and that's what yeah, this is Yeah, I about. mean, there is a little bit of that where the women don't have to do the chores or make food or do any of their, you know, duties. regular duties or responsibilities. Mm-hmm. They get to just kind of like chill out by themselves for three days. Um, but from like a Western perspective where, you know, we're in this culture, maybe a hustle culture, we're like trying to like be equal to men or the same um, it seems quite sexist and anti-feminist in a way um, to tell a woman like, oh, you need to just like go there and relax, right? Because as a woman, I'm always like, well, I think I know my body. I think I know what I need better than you do as a man who has no fucking idea what it's like <laughs> to be a woman. Um, so <laughs> that's always like my approach. But mm. I, it's I'm curious. I love this idea of like journaling and like putting in put writing down like what's really coming up for you at that time and making that sort of like a sacred practice during your cycle. Um, but what do you think about all this? What do you think about yeah. this ancient tradition and like modern times and like bringing the two together? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think it's a super interesting conversation because there's obviously the sort of societal norms of like being unclean and seeing it as something to be separate, which is not things that I would recommend we bring with us, you know, into <laughs> exactly. the, <laughs> into the our world time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And like, it's not dirty. It's not unclean. Like none of those things are true. But at the same time, you can see how there are some things lost in not taking advantage of you know, having a culture that respects this time in some way to mm-hmm. to protect it. Um, but really, when I get into this with people, it comes down very to personalization in this, mm-hmm. because I think a lot of times what you need and how many days you need or what that structure looks like of creating space for yourself depends a lot on what your current experience is. If you have endometriosis and you have debilitating cramps and pain, like you should in no way feel bad about blocking off, you know, a day at a time, days at a time to really mm-hmm. care for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, if you, you know, are struggling with PMS and you're just like really triggered, asking for space away from your partner, from your kids, something like that can also be just a, it's more for you. It's for everyone, mm-hmm. right? Like that's going to yeah. help you not be triggered and kind of be able to tune into what your needs are in that moment. Mm -hmm. But then also it protects those relationships in some ways as well, because it's Mm -hmm. not like you're doing any good in those situations. anyway. (laughs) Um, And so creating that space can be really, really helpful. But I think when it comes to movement, 
that again is like what feels good. Mm-hmm. And I think for so long around periods, the conversation has been kind of prescriptive of what you should do, what you can and can't do. So like you mm-hmm. can't play in sports because you're bleeding or you can't do these right. things. So there's this natural like inclination to be like, well, watch me. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, and it, which is great. And, you know, there's marathon runners that free bleed and, you know, all of these things which are – you know, like you do you. Oh, you Christ. do you. <laughs> I was swallowing I right when you said that. I was like, just... So it's just like what the the body is capable of doing is incredible. Yeah. But you know, it comes back down to like what what feels good. So if you go in to do your yoga practice and you're just not feeling it strength wise or whatever, like being willing to negotiate and modify, mm-hmm. being willing to say, you know what, I'm just gonna, you know, lay here and do breathing and just let it be a meditative practice instead of heavy on the movement. But there's also athletes that will get PRs on their period. So mm-hmm. it's really like where you you feel your best. Yeah. So they're like personal, personal record. Best. Oh, yeah, personal, personal record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, because what's happening kind of biologically is once your period starts, you have this window, this week to week and a half where your body is like not doing anything for the reproductive process. You're yeah. not preparing to ovulate. You're not you know, preparing the uterus in case you're pregnant or doing that process. And so it's really where all of your energy can go towards these physical activities and this outward push. But if your cycle is not healthy and you're struggling with symptoms, that's just a sign that your body needs more care. And so slowing down in that process is what's going to get you back to being able to use more of those days for, you know, Mm -hmm. output, so to speak. Yeah, I think one of the most phenomenal things I've I've learned in in our Ashtanga culture is this um, this notion that a a woman should not do the closing sequence, which we do in Ashtanga oh, yeah, yoga of the the headstand and the shoulder stand, like inversions, like mm-hmm. right because sh- it interferes with like the or disrupts the like downward movement or that downward flow of the cycle when you spend, you know, a longer period of time in an inverted position. And also just like the notion of bunda of like holding and withdrawing in the uh, pelvic floor when that should be released to allow energy to come downward. And I think there's a lot that we can talk about there uh, or uh, I can, I can listen. Um, But but also um, I think what's also phenomenal about it is the kind of understanding that uh, a woman's cycle is going to be public in the Mysore room. And some women are going to go and put their feet up against the wall rather than doing aversions. And everyone else just has to fucking be okay with it. Yeah. And I, I just really have always really admired that and liked it that as a, as a male yoga teacher, uh, it's my it's expectation in, in the Mysore culture of Ashtanga yoga to facilitate that space. And I think it's, I think it's unusual. Yeah, I I would agree. I think that so much of it is we're kind of taught to hide it mm-hmm. from, you know, hiding even the commercials, right. Where you have the tampon hidden in your sleeve to like yeah. pass off to, <laughs> to your friend, like, or, you know, in schools feeling like you have to raise your hand and like announce to your class. Cause you're taking your bag to the bathroom with you. And right. it, there's so much shame right. around yeah. it versus seeing this as like, this is, such a human experience mm-hmm. and creating mm-hmm. space for that and allowing it to be and understanding that what's needed for women is going to be different at different times of the month. Um, but really this is like a mirror of 
the circadian rhythm. Mm. that so men have these hormone patterns as well Mm -hmm. but they align more to that 24-hour day clock right right, where testosterone is highest in the morning so they get up they go running they do their workouts and they can do it without eating first and they get all of these gains and it's amazing but then later after lunchtime that sort of happy hour window their estrogen's higher so they want to be more social they want to it's a better time for meetings it's a better time for them to be engaging socially. And then, oh. you know, you think about the after work, like the beer and sports or whatever image, <laughs> yeah. you know, is like that rest and relaxation. So they're having these same um, patterns. It's just oh happening God. in the day. That's so phenomenal. I've never heard that laid out like that before. <laughs> that is 100% my life. Jesus <laughs> Christ. I'm, I'm overwhelmed right now. <laughs> and that's what happens when I explain the cycle phases to women. They're like, oh, it all makes sense. <laughs> right. And I mean, that's even fascinating. Like when I think of our yoga practice, um, you know, because it is kind of set up that way a little bit where, you know, people wake up really early and they're supposed to practice before they eat, you know, on the empty stomach. It's the optimum time to do that. Um in in the tradition and so then you do that you go quite a while without eating and then like you're supposed to work during the day afterwards somehow mm-hmm. <laughs> after doing a really intense practice and then like sleep six hours a night basically you know and I think as women we have so many more responsibilities like making food you know getting our kids lunches mm-hmm. ready making dinners putting kids to bed like you know sometimes as a woman, you're not getting to bed till like 10 or 11 at night. I feel like it's, it's a little bit, um, it's a drag. Yeah, no, but it's, <laughs> it's like counterproductive to wake up mm-hmm. before 5am in the morning. If you're not getting to bed until 11 and even yeah, that yeah. feels like it's not a great time. I mean, I, I monitor my sleep and I always get my best sleep between like 4am and 6am. <laughs> It's like such a like sweet sleep window for mm-hmm. me. So it's, yeah, it's and just knowing that it's like, this. why would you disrupt that when you yeah. know that's your best sleep and you know how important sleep is to everything else totally. in your day and your body functioning? Yeah. And so kind of the parallel there is the week after your period is mm-hmm. when energy's highest, appetite is lower. Cause again, your body's doing less. Because mm-hmm. I think a lot of times we look at externally, like the kids and the cooking and yeah. kind of life tasks as like, is my day busy or not? But we don't consider the internal process as well, mm-hmm. because at certain times of the month, our body's doing so much more work. After right. ovulation, your body's like doing an addition to the uterus, right? It's adding on. <laughs> and right. that process burns up to like 280 more calories a day. That's wow. just baseline, like sitting on the couch. That's how much more work your body's doing. And we don't factor that in. So when you're trying to do the same intensity of your workout or keep up the same pace or level of activity in your day without adding in additional food, you know, trying to restrict sleep, those Mm -hmm. sorts of things, it's just not actually fueling the work that your body's doing. And other, Mm -hmm. you know, like men wouldn't do that. If you do an extra workout in your day, like you're going to eat another snack, you're going to have a protein (laughs) shake, or you're going to, you're going to add something because obviously you burn more calories, you need more fuel or you don't build muscle. Like there's no point of doing the things that you did. Right. 
Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. I always felt felt like that actually. Like personally, the week before my period was always like the time when I really wanted to rest and like not do my practice or like I was like this is when I need to take days mm-hmm. off. And then when my period happened, it was like such a relief. It was such a like yeah. like release yeah. of like tension and pressure and like everything and I felt like I had energy and I felt really good so it's interesting that yeah. like you're talking about that building up of the uterus wall and and how much energy that's actually mm-hmm. taking I've had a couple of students tell me that that they would that they just said privately you know I would really prefer to take the time off before my my period yeah. not during my period and it's like yeah you you do whatever you need <laughs> you do you it's not <laughs> There's no sutra yeah. that I can use to help help you through this. <laughs> yeah, and that's where it comes like a lot of the protection around the menstrual phase of when you're actually bleeding is because so many women experience cramps and pain right. and discomfort. And so then it's like, yeah, if you're feeling that, like you shouldn't be pushing yourself as hard. Mm-hmm. You should allow your body to rest. But when things are healthy and like what's normal experience for a period it is some maybe slight tension maybe some a slight heaviness maybe slight cramping but like just a, it's almost like an awareness that something's happening then I'm in pain or I need to um, do any sort of extreme disruption to my day it's more of like an invitation to slow down because mm-hmm. your body's doing this work but really once that's in that healthy range it is when you start to hit the ability you get that energy back. Um, and that week before is where you're doing more of the work. So that is when to kind of factor that in energy wise. Yeah. Yeah. And what do you think about like this going upside down? Do you think that's going to affect like, or disrupt the cycle? I don't think it disrupts the cycle. Um, and, and again, I, I guess I'm not as familiar with the practice. I don't know how long you're spending <laughs> inverted. A couple minutes. Five minutes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I, with a lot of those things, especially people who have practiced this for a long time, mm-hmm. like you n- know, if you start paying attention, like you know how you feel during and after. Because I think a lot of times with exercise, it's really easy to be like, how do I feel during this? Or like, oh, I was able to do it. So that mm-hmm. was fine. But see, like, how do you feel the rest of your day? Do you feel right? yourself dragging on this day when you wouldn't have, you know, another mm-hmm. day? So I think with the inversions, it's kind of like, tuning into that, but remembering that the uterus is a muscle. And so if you're removing blood flow from that, that could also increase cramps and things like that, um, Mm -hmm. just from not having um, the optimal blood flow. And and even like you need more water when you're in your period, like that hydration can also help with cramps. Because again, it's just, we think of it as so separate, but it's a muscle. If you're dehydrated, you know, if it's not getting the blood flow, then it can cause more cramps. Oh, that's interesting. So when you're like releasing the uterus walls, is the muscle then relaxing? So the it's it's basically contracting. Okay. Um, and that's what actually is like releasing the lining and pushing it through. Oh. Interesting. Wow. Like kind of like a yeah, like yeah, it is. birth a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like mini mini. <laughs> yeah. And it should feel like a very mini, mini version like conceptually the same but unfortunately a lot of women experience it like they're in labor yeah wow that'd be so intense another also um um problem with the ashtanga yoga culture is that because we have these things that are like um getting new belts in kung fu or karate or 
you know, you, you get little gold stars for getting new postures. And then some people get a, a certification or an authorization for really going above and beyond the call of duty. Um, it tends to be uh, it, it, it to be vulnerable to ambition and trying to be very ambitious with the practice mm-hmm. and get that gold star and get that next belt. And so uh, people start to really strive in the practice. Mm-hmm. Um, say just um, they, they, they start looking to reduce weight, uh, reduce app, reduce food, reduce food intake, practice harder, ignore symptoms of pain, uh, ignore, ignore suffering, take ibuprofen. Uh, some of us have taken muscle relaxants. Um, <laughs> and um, you, you do see a lot of, of people who look pretty uh, malnourished, to put it lightly, dehydrated, and who are not having regular periods. Yeah, often women mm-hmm. will lose their period. Yeah, you know and that's so common in any elite kind like of professional athletic. athlete, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, and they have uh, what's it called? Like it's like a basically called like an athlete female athlete syndrome, mm-hmm. where they lose their periods, they have osteoporosis, like anorexia, like these sort of mm-hmm. symptoms, and it's this trifecta. Um, but yeah, it's really when it's like, you're not supporting the body that you have. Mm -hmm. And it really is during these reproductive years that it's like, there's a whole other process going on here. And when you do things like restrict food, especially the week before your period, your body treats it almost like a famine and Mm -hmm. is going to store fat. So like even those goals that you think that you're working towards, but it can get tricky because like the week after your period, your appetite's a little lower. So it feels easy to restrict. Yeah. Or at least to lower that count and you feel like leaner. You yeah. don't have that heaviness because when you're on your period, like your organs actually like expand a little bit. So that bloating, sometimes it's just like you have organs and they expand and contract, <laughs> you know, like this is just how bodies yeah. work. Um, but when that goes down, like you feel lean, you feel so energetic yeah. and it's easy to restrict. But then when you continue that practice, when your body's doing more work, then it goes into this, you know, it's a really stressful on the body. And so mm-hmm. it will store fat because again, it, there's still this biological process that's like, if we're pregnant, like we have to keep another, you know, living form alive. Yeah. And we can't do that if we're losing all of this excess fat. Mm-hmm. There's actually um, a book written by this woman, Dr. Stacy Stims, that is all about like elite athletes mm-hmm. um, using their cycle and training with their cycle. And she's saying like the stats on this is like, you know, for men, the body fat percentage is something like, you know, eight to 10% is really Mm -hmm. what these athletes are striving for. But Mm -hmm. that in healthy women, it's like 12 to 15. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, but like most of the training is still trying to get women at the same percentage as men, but their bodies just don't function well. Right. And then they have these problems. And it's such a big, bigger issue, like just as a health issue because regular ovulation is so protective for the menopausal years in terms of preventing breast cancer, osteoporosis, dementia, heart disease, like all of these major things, Mm -hmm. these years of having regular and balanced hormones go a long way in protecting women. Wow. Yeah. Fascinating. That's, you know, my, um, one of my yoga students in San Francisco, um, a gynecologist, uh, Vicki, Vicki Steiner, she told me that there was a strong relationship 
uh, between body fat and um, starting your period and then getting pregnant. Like there was, uh, mm-hmm. I might mess this up, but like say like you have to be at like 12% body fat to be able to start initiating a, a pregnancy, which is how you see Northern Scandinavian countries or England uh, girls are starting their periods earlier, whereas in sort of uh, drier climates with less uh, uh, calorie intake or fat intake, you know, they start their periods like say 16. Mm-hmm. In the same way with with pregnancy, like you have to be at something like, and again, I'm, I'm probably getting this stat completely wrong, but like 22%, 20% to be able to achieve pregnancy. Does that jive with, with what you're, with what yeah, you're absolutely. learning? Yeah, for sure. Um, and especially when you see that with like athletes, like when they drop down mm-hmm. to these lower body weights and you see it with Olympians and stuff, like a lot of gymnasts, while they're gymnasts, mm-hmm. they're like itty bitty, yeah. tiny little girls. Um, and then they stop being gymnasts. They reach, you know, the end of their career there. And then they actually start to develop because mm-hmm. there right. is this kind of this cap, like your body can't do this reproductive function if it doesn't have enough resources, mm. you know, to do it. And then similar mm. with pregnancy, like lower weight um, can just be a struggle to actually have ovulation happening regularly and also having enough length of time between ovulation and what would be a period for implantation to happen. Cause a lot of times, like even if you are ovulating, if that's a short window, like under 10 days between ovulation and a period, there's not enough time for implantation to happen. Oh. So it can also interfere on in that end as well. Mm-hmm. Mm, interesting. Wow. Before um, I got pregnant with my son Jediah, I was doing like the natural birth tracking period mm-hmm. method for a long time, natural birth control for many years. Um, and so I'm curious, like, what is the difference between period tracking and cycle syncing, which is more sort of what you're focused on? Yeah. So tracking is really um, interested in understanding like length, frequency of periods of the phases between, you know, from your period to ovulation and then ovulation to your next period. And that is really um, can tell you a lot about your health and a lot about fertility and gives you just just this wealth of data and information about how well your body's functioning. And then where cycle syncing goes beyond that, it takes that information and then says, now, how can I bring this into my everyday life? How can I set up my work tasks to be the best fit? Or how do I adjust when it's not the best fit for the current energy level that I have um, and what's on my plate that day? And it's really just this, you know, it's going from okay, we'll just go along with this as normal and we'll treat every day the same as understanding that these are different. And when you can shift to looking ahead, saying, what if I made this easier by scheduling my social events when I'm laid out on the couch, like not wanting to do anything, like I'm texting (laughs) the people, I'm doing that, like planning work. So then the week after my period when I'm like, oh yeah, it'd be nice to go do things. It'd be nice to have this social interaction. It's already set up for you. And that was because in that window, like you don't care as much about planning. Like the details are not the focus. It's much of a big picture energy and and focus. So you don't want to plan things. You don't want to be picking out restaurants, reading reviews. You just want it to be there. (laughs) Yeah. Can can we dig into that a little bit deeper? There's an interesting um, point here in Harmony's notes that I wanted to to ask about. If you could dig into the, the four phases 
of a menstrual mm-hmm. cycle. And you say this wonderful thing, there's superpowers. <laughs> can you can you talk, yeah. can you describe those superpowers for us? Yeah, absolutely. So the four phases are menstrual phase, which is the three to seven days that you're bleeding. Then um, the days from your period to ovulation is called follicular phase. Uh, then there's ovulation. And then luteal phase is from ovulation to the next period. And what's happening is that each of these windows, your hormones are at a different levels. So on your on your period, like I mentioned, those hormones are at their lowest and connections between the two hemispheres are your brain are the strongest. So again, this is that like that in tune and intuition moment of, you know, maybe down to details of like what's what's going well right now, what feels good for me to do in this moment? How can I adjust what's on my plate today so that I can honor this energy and maybe slow my pace a little bit, but it can also go into like deeper things of like what's working well or not in my relationship. How do I feel about the trajectory that my business or my career is going? It's a really good time to ask those questions because it's easy, like you mentioned the week after to feel that higher energy and higher optimism and have and think that like, okay, well, you know, I was just having like a bad couple days. It's fine. <laughs> um, but so that the menstrual phase, that's the superpower is like getting really in tune with what you really want and who you are as a person. Mm-hmm. And that can lead to what conversations and boundaries you might want to address later in the month. Mm-hmm. And then um, the week after the period, that follicular phase, that is again, that high energy. And that's like big picture planning, brainstorming, looking to the future and kind of thinking about like, how could I do these things? So if you're thinking about a shift in your business, you know, it's like, what would be the steps that would need to happen for me to make that shift possible? Or if it's in a relationship saying like, okay, how do I introduce these conversations or this idea of a boundary and start talking about it at a time when I'm less reactive so I can not only speak more kind of clearly and less of an attack, but like lay out, lay out, you know, mm-hmm. what your experience is and also be open to hearing the other person's side without feeling like that's, you know, a personal attack on you as well. Yeah. And you can negotiate those conversations in a more productive way. Um, and then that ovulatory window, those are probably like what your mom mentioned as the two days that she felt good. That's been like- <laughs> Estrogen's high, you get a little boost in testosterone. So, like, that's when you say you're glowing, libido's high, energy's high, and you're most um, really collaborative in that time. You want to be the most social. Um, it's great for creative problem solving. So, mm-hmm. that's really like if you think about, you know, the productivity advice that's like, do your hardest thing first thing in the morning. Like, this <laughs> is that magic window of like, do your hardest thing when you're ovulating, when you feel. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. When you when feel connected and creative and confident. Exactly. <laughs> or like if you have a hard conversation, if you want to ask for a raise, if you want to like pitch yourself for something yeah. that feels really big and scary, that's the window yeah. to do it in. Mm-hmm. Um, I love and it. it's like it's short. So it's just kind of that like golden window, right? But even thinking that's a great place I like to tell people to start is like, what's one thing you want to do this month? And that you wanna, you know, what's that hard thing that you want to do during this like mid-cycle point? Mm, that's so good. And then after ovulation, during luteal phase, this is when our focus gets a lot more detail oriented. Mm. Um, our serotonin drops a little bit. So we're less in that like optimistic window. <laughs> so we start to notice mm-hmm. more of our surroundings. Um, and 
that can be such a great time for implementation, execution. So you created this plan of like how you're going to make the shift in your business or how um, laying out the two sides of maybe a problem in a relationship. And now it's like, okay, what are we going to do about it? And we're going to actually fill in those gaps of what's necessary to get it done. So it can be a workhorse kind of phase Mm -hmm. where you can get a lot done. Um, the, the other side of that phase is that that's when people also will experience PMS and those symptoms if they haven't supported themselves well throughout the month, because mm-hmm. our stress response is higher. So our body actually releases more cortisol to the same triggers, which is mm-hmm. where we can get into that reactivity can start there as well, where we're more sensitive to things right. that people say. Um, and so being, being aware of that and with movement and things like that, that restricting calories exercise, those things are a form of stress on the body. So paying attention to how really activated you are. Because if you have like a really good practice for your nervous system, like Mm -hmm. these things may be fine to work into your practice at the same level because it's just going to be that little blip. Um, But when you don't have that practice and you're in chronic stress, anything you do, you do one workout and like now you're even more Mm -hmm. activated. And so it's that practice of getting yourself, you know, more balanced. And food is a great way to do that. Again, your caloric needs go up. So keeping your blood sugar stable goes a long way in helping you keep your mood and everything stable during that time. Yeah. I love that you bring that up. I I mean, before I really started a regular yoga practice, I definitely know my PMS was like so intense. Um, all those premenstrual sy- symptoms of like feeling super depressed and like, you know, crying. And like, I mean, when I was a teenager, even like suicidal ideations, like it was like very, very mm-hmm. intense yeah. um, time. And then luckily I found yoga when I was quite young. I was like 20. And so it started to uh, kind of balance out and then was able to sort of be a lot more balanced during um, my 20s and 30s. But definitely that fourth phase for me is like my intense cleaning phase. Yeah. <laughs> that's how it often shows up is like that closet that needs to be cleaned out, the junk drawer that's like grab what you want or it's all going in the garbage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like that attention to detail, like like the thing that's annoying me the most is like, mm-hmm. <laughs> gotta go. I'm getting rid of it. <laughs> and that's where I, the magic comes when you can communicate that when you're aware that these things are coming and it is a pattern. You yeah. can then start commuting, communicating to the people who live in your home. Like this week, we're gonna start organizing some stuff. And you can right. have these conversations like around that mid cycle point where you're like. Let's get the buy-in. Let's get the collaboration. Yeah. This is what I need from you in order for this to be successful versus like waking up that Saturday and being like the baseboards. The baseboards. Are <laughs> yeah. What? No, I'm- and of course, everyone else are like, that's never happened ever. Like, why is this Saturday? Yeah. I've got to go. Mold- I'm doing other stuff. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's good. Pre-planning. Pre-planning, Pre-planning for the- During the pre-menstrual cycle. <laughs> For the <laughs> for the pre period, well, two weeks. When tracking comes, you know, and then it yeah. works together. When you're tracking, yeah. then you start to see and looking at that, like with your calendar as well, and you see where these things are falling, and you mm-hmm. can see what's already on your calendar, what's fixed there, and saying like, okay, that's going to be require more effort this day. 
mm-hmm. then it might at a different point in my cycle. So how am I going to then support myself? So what am I going to add in or take off to accommodate for that one thing that really needs to happen that week? Yeah. It's it's so interesting thinking about collaboration because you're also thinking about collaboration between genders and and mm-hmm. you know, trying to get buy-in within the house. And I think that's a super interesting fa- um, phrase or phrasing because I've, I've intuitively, I feel like I've been managing my role as a stepfather to to kind of uh, assist Harmony in her role as, as a parent and thinking about her energy level. Because uh, when, I, when I entered the home, uh, when Jediah was five, there's still so much service happening from the mother to the child. And, you know, she's going to be completely drained and wiped just all the time. Mm-hmm. And irritable and angry and and I um and I kind of I felt like my role there was to kind of help transform Jediah into um uh, a, a person who's going to assist and be of service to his mother who's been in service to him for mm-hmm. the last five years. Now the next five years we're going to learn how to be of assistance to your mother so that she isn't completely drained all the time. And so these things like, look, we're helping mommy out right now because she needs it, okay? (laughs) (laughs) And we're cleaning, we're cleaning because otherwise, you know, your teenager years are going to be a real problem. (laughs) You're not going to (laughs) survive. And just to to say, you know, just to wrap this up with a bow, just to say that uh, I feel like we can do a lot more work on helping men collaborate with these cycles as mm, well. Yeah. And helping them understand, you know, how they can be of service rather than, you know, a, a petulant child <laughs> grown. Yeah, I really like to talk <laughs> about these things in terms of mental load as well, because mm. I think that's a common thing that, you know, couples deal with and women often carrying like the heavier end of that, especially when it comes to the home. Um, and they don't know how they got in that cycle either. But this is super helpful to understand that because if you think about this like high energy version of yourself after your period, that's like, I can do all the things. I'm good. (laughs) I don't need any help. But then it comes around to this time where like, oh, my energy's lower. I do need more help. Also, I'm more aware of all the things that aren't in the place they belong in my home. Mm -hmm. And those are usually when those blow ups happen of like, why doesn't anyone help? How do you not see? Right? Like the question Mm -hmm. of like, well, how can I help you? can sometimes be so offensive because it's like, how do you not see mm-hmm. all the things that are not how they're supposed to be? But yeah. it's understanding that that's not the same process that's happening for your partner. Right. And so understanding how to get that buy-in when you are higher energy, when you have the capacity, especially if you're talking about kids, you have the capacity to teach them how to do things because that is right. not, it takes a level of patience to be like, We're going to do it. We're going to let it not be perfect. We're going to let it not be the way that I want it done. Yes. Then set everyone up for success. So then when you ask for help, when you're lower energy, you're not having to show people how to do it. You're not having to give them like a detailed list. Mm -hmm. Here's exactly what you do because that feels, that doesn't feel like support in that time because you're like, well, I still, if I do it all mentally, I might as well do it myself. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's right. Now I'm doing two jobs instead of one. Yeah. As you so know, we're three aspect. children under, yeah, they're four and under, under the age of four. Oh my yeah. God. Yeah. <laughs> they're all tiny, Good tiny, tiny yeah. children. So we're, yeah, we're definitely in a pressure cooker season of life where it's yeah. like, 
all hands on deck, but is is your husband uh in tune with your cycles? Is he like on he board is. with yeah? Yeah, no, he's super supportive. Um and he's even asked me, so I have an app that I really like and I encourage mm-hmm. people to get because you can push your cycle app calendar to yeah. your Google Calendar. Oh, so cool. it will put like across your Google Calendar, like menstrual phase, luteal phase. So you can see it on cool. your calendar, which is super helpful. But he's like, can you share that calendar with me? <laughs> oh, that's so good. Oh, I know. It does help because sometimes, again, with the the tiny little humans, you're like, yeah, it's hard to have those check-in moments sometimes. So him totally. being aware. But that also brings up, um, I think, another thing that we talked about of like, if we just jump into the implementation and like how we do things, mm-hmm. a lot of times what gets skipped over is the reframes that we need to mm-hmm. do when thinking about our cycle and our bodies. Because a lot of times, and I've heard him say this and I've caught myself saying it of like, oh, well, we'll do this during your good week. Or yeah. this is like, <laughs> right. like a good week. Good week. week. Excuse like, me, sir. <laughs> That's how I thought about it as well, because I had right. such this dramatic shift in my experience that it was like good weeks, bad weeks. Yeah. Um, and when you do have symptoms, it can very much feel that way. Mm-hmm. But there is that sort of narrative of like, well, when you're, you know, happy, high energy and more people pleasing, like that's a good week. And it feels yeah. like a good week for everyone. <laughs> that's right. Mm. Everyone's then, like, yes, I like this version mm. of you. <laughs> but then when that shifts and it's more about like creating space for yourself or your needs or negotiating that process. Um, so there's a lot of layers and that's really what comes mm-hmm. up in coaching is like, right. I mean, I can give you in a session, I can give you a blueprint of when to do which workout, when to eat, which food, like we can do right. that really quick. Yeah. But when you actually get to the day where you have to put in PTO, for that one day on your period where you know that you need a break, mm-hmm. like what is all the process to get you to actually put in that request yeah. or what do you do? Like thinking ahead to what do you ask of your partner? What do you feel comfortable asking of your kids? Mm-hmm. And that's where the real work kind of happens. Right. Yeah. Cause it's hard to let go of doing it all and it's hard to ask for help mm-hmm. and it's hard to plan ahead to ask for help at certain times and like what things do you need to do versus what things can you let other people do? Those are all um, challenging sort of distinctions to make sometimes. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. I can see that. Mm -hmm. And then what ends up happening is you have those blow ups like, you know, in the moment. And so, right you know, how can you plan ahead to... I think like two weeks ago, I literally said out loud, would you listen to yourself? You've been shitting on me for 30 straight minutes (laughs) about every last thing I'm doing. I think that's a quote. (laughs) (laughs) And to see that on your Instagram next week. That's right. (laughs) My episode. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, no, that I can see that being really important and like learning how to take that personal time for yourself, right? Make those requests. And yeah, and I think there's a lot of pressure to be present, especially like in motherhood. Like you have to be there, you have to be doing all the things Mm -hmm. and starting to get some perspective on that quality versus quantity. Mm -hmm. because one, it's like in the moment, like if you're reactive and not able to enjoy that moment and be really present, then is this really doing your kid this service Mm -hmm. 
or are you just here to be here? Yeah. <laughs> um, and then also like that long-term perspective as well, because mm-hmm. it's also about sustaining and not burning out where you're like, I need a whole weekend off, which may not be sus- practical. You might not have the help or the finances or whatever to actually do like, mm-hmm. I'm doing a weekend away alone. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so it's like, how do you build this in so that you don't reach those points of like, mm-hmm. I'm now at a 10 and anything else that happens, like I'm blowing up and it comes as a shock to everyone else because a lot of these things are happening eternally right. and we're not communicating them. Or when we do, it's in a way that doesn't allow people to see this as you being vulnerable and sharing like a need. It comes off as angry. Um, mm-hmm. And then it creates the, those defense mechanisms, right? Where it's like, yeah. I don't, no one wants to be yelled at for any yeah. length of time. <laughs> That's true. Or to feel like everything they're doing is wrong, you know, when they're obviously trying to make an effort as well. Mm -hmm. And so that self-awareness, you know, is so important Mm -hmm. for yourself. And then also how you communicate that and model that for your family and and for your kids, for them to see that that's also normal Mm -hmm. for someone not to be the same every day and show up the same every way. But that that connection can still be equally as strong. Yeah. I want I want to ask a a question. I, I. I feel I have this value that I cherish, which is um, a healthy respect for female rage. <laughs> and you know, growing up with my mom, who is a famously violent temper, and I've seen grown ass big men hide from her. <laughs> I've seen I've seen shopkeepers hide in a closet to get away from her. <laughs> Obviously, there's some hormonal imbalances there. Um, but it's, you know, I, I feel like we should also, um, respect and, and not, uh, um, dismiss moments of rage as, um, hormonal, evil, (laughs) evil or wrong. Like there's, it should be a, like if you're blowing up fair, fair point. You're blowing up. I'm going to just take it, you know, mm-hmm. pardon the phrase, take it like a man. <laughs> and so I felt like I couldn't, mar- I couldn't be in a marriage with someone who, I, if I didn't also feel like they couldn't take an ax and fucking kill me with it. <laughs> like I just wouldn't, it doesn't work for me. And I had to get out of a marriage because of that. So the one I'm very comfortable in the marriage I'm in now, because I, I have a healthy respect for Harmony's violent side <laughs> that I know is just simmering there. And then I, I feel like I can respect a person who has that in them. Thoughts. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I, I agree that there's, there's power and value in that ability, the almost like mama bear energy, Mm, or they're like, I'm not putting up with anyone's BS. I think that's so, such a powerful thing. And by that, I also mean that it's like, it can be wielded in ways that do a lot of damage. That's true. And it can also (laughs) be used really productively. And so Mm. that's where the self-awareness comes in. Cause I think if you're seeing like, this is a pattern that has, you know, thinking about, we'll use mental load as an example. Like if these are things you've asked for and you've been clear about at various points, (laughs) you've given, you know, lots of chances for someone to actually get on board. Um, and it's just, it's not happening. Then you can like use these times and know that like when I'm in this menstrual phase, when I, in this point where like, I'm going to be very direct about what my needs are, 
I may be able to add like the weight and importance of this conversation that mm-hmm. I can't communicate as well at another time of the month. Um, so I think that that people should know that they can use that, especially for things that are reoccurring or something that's hard. If you're trying to end a relationship and you know it needs to end, but you haven't quite been able to get yourself to do that, knowing that this is the time where you're going to have like the fortitude to be like, no, I'm not putting up with this and I'm actually going to walk out the door. I'm actually going to take the action. Mm -hmm. So I think understanding, it's just that awareness to understand the power of it because there's also people in your life who are a hundred percent for you and love you and like want to support you. And so if those are coming out at them and used towards them in ways that aren't actually like moving the relationship forward or creating (laughs) connection and doing those things like that can also be problematic. And so it really comes back to that, the self-awareness piece first so that you know, is this an issue of like, I haven't asked for what I've needed. And so I'm blowing up because really what I need to do is go take a nap or Mm -hmm. I need to go take you know, five minutes to breathe and get away from this current situation for a moment? Or is this this repetitive, reoccurring pattern in our relationship that mm-hmm. needs that like, heavier, you know, strength mm-hmm. and weight to it? Yeah. It's amazing. Because in that window, those things will probably all feel the same. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, like it feels equally problematic. Yes. But that yes. doesn't mean it. they all require that level of, you know, kind of force and power in communicating it. Yeah, yeah, totally. I have I have another interesting question that I'd love to get your take on. So a lot of times I've had a lot of students in the past that have endometriosis. And so they're having like really painful, mm-hmm. painful periods that last for a long, long time. And it really interferes with their physical practice because, well, first of all, there's this tradition of resting during your menstrual cycle. Um so then they can't really practice for a couple of weeks or if they do practice, you know, they have even more pain sometimes. How, how do, how should women deal with like endometriosis? endometriosis? Is there like a way that can, or things they can do to make it better um, outside of drinking more water? <laughs> is there- yeah. I mean, so the thing with endometriosis is it's slightly different because it is exasperated by uh, the normal, like, hormone fluctuations, but the root causes, newer research is showing that it's more of a like autoimmune disease that's is also related to the gut and all of these other things. So the, the, the hormone cycle is like related and can make it the experience of it worse, mm-hmm. but they're not really tied to the same thing. So it's different from, right. it's not just like this is more extreme cramps than someone else. Like this is actually like an autoimmune disorder that's happening. Mm-hmm. So the root cause, you know, approaches are slightly different there, but generally speaking, like having balanced hormones is going to help you with that because really the right. issue here is having estrogen dominance because it modulates our immune system. Mm-hmm. And so if it's out of balance, it can contribute to these autoimmune responses. Right. Um, so having the practices of, um, with diet, one thing that you can do is prioritize more raw foods around that ovulation portion of the month to help flush out extra estrogen. So higher fiber, you know, greens, vegetables, Mm -hmm. um, smoothies, salads, those sorts of things can help. Flush out extra estrogen? Yeah. So your body produces estrogen and then it also then processes it through like your liver, through your gut, 
and you pass estrogen through bowel movements and everything oh. as well. So your body has to get rid of excess estrogen because oh, if yeah. it doesn't release it, it will recycle back into the body. Um, and then yeah. you can have estrogen levels that are too high. Right. And so it's great. It's great until it's not. And when it's not, then you can get like breast tenderness around ovulation. You can get that like mid-cycle cramping. You can have mm-hmm. those symptoms that you shouldn't expect around ovulation mm-hmm. when estrogen is too high. And then when it's too high, your progesterone levels that should be peaking in um, luteal phase, they may not reach that like optimal balance. So then you can experience the like symptoms that look like low progesterone as well because mm. it's this ratio of estrogen and progesterone. And then you add in stress to the picture, which right. movement can be um, mm-hmm. that then because stress is uh, also a hormone like cortisol, adrenaline, mm-hmm. and the same nutrients and building blocks that create stress hormones like cortisol also are what are used to produce progesterone and estrogen. So. Oh. If you have all of these resources going to cortisol, because obviously your body's priority is stay alive, it's not going to worry about feeling good. And so it's keeping those things in balance so that you're alive and thriving is ideal. Yeah. So with endometriosis, it's really that thing of like learning for it to be okay to do what feels good for your body. And a lot of it is adjusting the goalposts. Mm-hmm. Because when you're dealing with, if you even talk about it as an autoimmune disorder, like the way and the language that we use around these sorts of disorders and you know mm-hmm. malfunctions, so to speak, are different than how we talk about menstrual health issues. Yeah, because this is just like a female problem, whatever, versus like something that's maybe has a little bit more clout as a yeah. real thing. It's and even true. mentally to give yourself permission that, like, no, this is a real, this is a real thing, and it sucks. Like, there's not. Yeah. That's, you know, the, it's not to say that this isn't hard um, in any way, but that adjusting those expectations on yourself and listening to what works for your body is going to do the most. And taking the time off actually helps your progress. Mm-hmm. And it can yeah. feel like it doesn't, but pushing through those times doesn't actually get you the gains that you're looking for. It shows mm-hmm. up in other ways. It's yeah. the opposite. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love the too, that like your emphasis on how personal it is, right? That it's like really learning to tune in and like listen to what your body really needs and pay attention to like, you know, feeding it when it needs to be fed and resting when it needs to rest and moving when it needs to move. And the type of movement might change depending on what what, um, phase of the cycle you're in. I think that's really important that it's not like um, a rule book, like, okay, do this for step phase one, do this for phase two, like that it is going to be unique based on every woman's experience because our hormones are different and we we react differently to our hormones too, right? Everyone's sensitivity level is different. And I find the framework of cycle syncing really beneficial because like I like to have a system. So it's nice for me to like set it up like I do this, these meals this week, I do this workout this week and set it up that way. But it's really like this is something that should serve you. And there's so much in our culture that's like put these benchmarks, right? Like you're losing a certain amount of weight or you're getting a six pack or you're able to do, you know, a certain position for a certain amount of time. And like that's the goal. But when you shift the goal to, I want to be strong, flexible, 
and feel good in my body. Like when it's really about how do I feel in my body, mm-hmm. then no taking two or three rest days has no impact. Right. Because you're still doing what's most productive towards that goal for you that yeah. day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Reframing that that doing more isn't always going to help you more, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes doing less is going to help you more in the long run. Often yeah, when you doing less. Like that rest is what's going to help your body to heal, get more regular, become mm-hmm. more balanced. So then, and that's the goal. The goal is not to restrict and rest all the time, but to get yourself in a place where mm-hmm. you have more of your days where it is like a blip on your radar. Mm-hmm. And part of that comes with the practice of like the first couple months, it might feel like, okay, this is so new. I'm trying to wrap my mind around it. But it really quickly becomes like, oh, this is about being. And what's difficult is learning to be and allow how I feel today to be okay. And then mm-hmm. I'm going to feel different next week is also okay. That's where it becomes easy. Mm-hmm. You stop I, fighting. I would say that's uh, endemic of the, the entire North American culture is learning how to be yeah. is mm-hmm. extraordinarily difficult and and you see that in the you know in the in the in the children who mm-hmm. struggle to do anything if they're not uh, entertained whereas you can you know if you you go to other countries and you see children who are you know not being entertained just sitting there and dealing with that yeah in a you know much more positive way yeah, we don't have practices of quiet and mindfulness and all of those things built in to our society. And so then we don't feel comfortable, which you know, you know, probably yeah. more than I do. You don't feel comfortable in that space. Mm-hmm. And so that's, again, that's like where that work is of learning to be comfortable with like, I'm not doing all the things today, but that doesn't mm. mean that I can't or that there's something wrong with me. And that's where that kind of performance mentality comes in as well is like, your cycle doesn't really affect outcome performance. Mm. You can do, you know, barring things like endometriosis or some of these more, yeah. you know, debilitating kind of experiences where there's something um, wrong with how things are functioning. But like overall, it's not that you can't do the things. You can run a marathon. You can, you know, obviously with training, not just like I'm going to go out. Yeah. I could not <laughs> run a marathon today. <laughs> but it's like those performance-based things, you can do that. Mm-hmm. But it's really about how are you going to support yourself before, after, in the week coming because you can't run a marathon every single day. Right. Like that's mm-hmm. going to be too much for your body. So getting in that mentality of what what on my calendar or in my goals with my yoga practice or in, you know in life, what's that goal of like I'm going to achieve this and then how am I going to do that in a sustainable way where like I get there and I feel good in the process or I get there and I can enjoy it when I arrive and not, mm-hmm. you know, just move that goalpost or, you know, just right. be so burnt out. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I think it's, it's an important thing to take into account because especially, I mean, as women, <laughs> sorry, Russell. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I think because we do tend to juggle more things, you know, we're more like multitasking all the time. Like, okay, the kids have this and they have this schedule. And then like, maybe you have your partner's schedule or what's going on with them. And then you have like your own schedule and what's going on with you. And maybe you're like building a business on the side and you're trying to fit in your self-care and your 
workout routine and uh, you got to, you know, make the dentist appointments and the vet appointments and the, you know, all mm-hmm. the things, right? And that tends to be, for the most part, <laughs> um, the sphere of like running a home and a business and like doing all the things and keeping track of all the people and mm-hmm. beings and animals and life in your sphere. And so um, I think it's really important what you're saying is that, you know, trying to tap into that natural cycle of like, when is the good time to be like, okay, I'm in a phase right now where I can really like get through these emails and make these appointments and do all the Mm -hmm. scheduling. And now I don't have to think about that for a couple of weeks, (laughs) you know, and I can just like move into like this other space, which is more focused on like the being and like being present with people. And, you know, because it is. It's a lot to balance every day if you're trying to balance all the different tasks and demands and responsibilities. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's kind of thinking about it like there's seasons for these different tasks. Mm-hmm. Because when you're trying to find consistency and balance day to day, we feel crazy because we're like, well, you know, last week I blocked out, you know, two hours to do this task. And now I'm sitting here and it's like, going on hour four and I still feel like I'm struggling to do what I set out to do. And that's just this lack of awareness of how, what feels easy at different times. And so if Mm -hmm. we can schedule those and like you're saying, like the, all the appointments you sit down, like the week to week and a half before your period, schedule everything, call all the doctors, like get it on the calendar. (laughs) And then, you know, that may pop up later on a time of the month that's not great for you because obviously doctor's appointments are the worst. You can never, you know, it's like, okay, how does six months from now work? And you're like, exactly. I'll take it. Yeah. Like, sure. <laughs> like there's all these things that's like you don't have control over that. But yeah. when it then when it's on your calendar and you know like, okay, this is all the appointments ended up in this one week. That's gonna be rough. So how do we adjust our expectations in other areas to accommodate that? Mm-hmm. But it really mm-hmm. is just trying to set you up where more of the time your energy matches what you have on your schedule and what your expectations for yourself mm-hmm. are that day. Because mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that's the biggest um, kind of disparity between men and women is like men know what to expect. They wake up unless something crazy happens, they go out drinking or, you know, like yeah. something <laughs> disrupts their normal pattern. Mm-hmm. They know exactly how they're going to feel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's individual difference in that. Some people are higher energy and they like hit the ground running. Some people need a slower morning, but like every single day they know like I need this window to this window. Yeah. And we want that and we crave that, but we think that it should look that same way. We're like, I should know I'm waking up tomorrow and you can, but it's not necessarily going to be how you woke up yesterday. And Mm -hmm. so once you can kind of fill those pieces in, it's like, oh, okay. Like I know what to expect. I know what to ask of other people. I know what to ask of myself. I know how to support myself. And that just changes, changes the game. Yeah. And adjusting your expectations, like you're saying that it's not going to be the same every single day and that's okay. And that's normal. Like that's what it's supposed to be. Cause that's where I felt stuck for so long as I was striving either for neutral. Like I'm just like, I'm not gonna, I didn't want to get too high of highs. Cause like the lows mm-hmm. are terrible, you know, so yeah. I'm like trying to strive for neutral or I'm trying, like I'm going to be the same every single day. That's the goal. And that's not, that's not a sustainable goal. Right. Mm. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I, 
I'm thinking also about the, the way that we interact with each other and the way that we relate to each other. Um, I think Harmony, you told me once that uh, men will develop higher estrogen uh, cycles when they have children and when they're around babies. I think you told me that once. Is that is that is that true? Did I mishear that? I think so. And as they age too, men's estrogen levels go up. That's yeah. so interesting because they would they would be more social with the child, which would be positive for um, the to prevent our species from from going extinct. Um, it's interesting. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think was, some of it is the lower, te- slightly lower testosterone is also like leans more to keeping the family unit together as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, I I was remember. Uh, I, I've been reading a lot of Robert Sapolsky's work on um, on uh, hormonal cycles in, in mammals. And, you know, one of the things about estrogen is that it kind of creates stronger ties. But those, you know, mm-hmm. those circles also mean that anyone outside the circle is a little bit more alien as well, more of a threat. Um, and looking at testosterone levels as being more about... Um, um, uh, performance and uh, perfectionism, mm-hmm. uh, then, then, uh, and th- that was a very interesting way of thinking about testosterone. It's like more higher testosterone led, leads to more perfectionism. Um, but I was, I was also just thinking about, you know, what it's, what happens like when you suddenly find yourself in a home, you know, you, you get married and you move in with somebody and it's like, suddenly like that person's affecting your hormone cycle. You, you, of course, I think it's broadly understood that, that women cycle their hormones together when they live together. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think I, I'm interested to know like how suddenly having a man in your house, uh, affects your, your cycle of your, of your hormones as well. And like what women can anticipate when they suddenly have some kind of hairy beast, <laughs> you know, in their, in their house that they kind of have to, you know, negotiate. Well, I'll say a couple of things. So first, um, that's pretty much a myth that women cycle together, like based on their hormones. It's a myth. It's so it's very common for people who are like in the same place or, you know, similar Mm -hmm. like lifestyle and in place to be on the same cycle, but it's not a, I'm responding to your hormone pattern. Um, and the research that's on it is just there's some studies that are like, yeah, there's kind of a link, but they never quite lined up. Like, why is it certain relationships? Like they'd be like stronger tie relationships or, but those things don't really hold up. And another study that I think um, points says they never found any um, times where ovulation was matching up to each other, Oh, interesting. Um, which is a much more um, would be a much more kind of stable vector in that. Mm. But also, you know, if you think about, we all have similar range of cycles. And then you have some of the population that's very regular, some that are irregular. So like it would have to be an over like 50% chance Mm -hmm. um, or the studies would have to prove that this is like over 50% likely due to your hormones for it to not just be by chance. Like, yeah, we're all on like the same number of days. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) like when you live together, you have, you're probably eating similar foods. You're keeping a similar schedule. Mm-hmm. So it's likely that you'll end up on there. There's more study to show that we cycle in relation to the moon 
than right. we do with each other's like hormone patterns. Oh. But I've heard, I mean, so many people say that, or they're like, oh yeah, we synced up with the person who was on the pill. <laughs> Like that that definitely didn't happen. And that Mm. makes sense. Wow. That's interesting. I love that syncing with the moon, you know, and we always call it like you're on your ladies' moon days when you're having your period. But also there's this idea that like at the full moon is sort of the ovulation time and the new moon is Mm -hmm. the menstrual time. Is that what the studies have also kind of shown? Yeah, and basically what they've shown is they they see some connection with it and like things like uh like whales, like aquatic mammals mm-hmm. cycle with the moon as well. Um, Amazing. But a lot of it is like in our modern world, they don't see as much of a connection because of all the artificial lights and like mm-hmm. our our daily practice isn't as in tune to nature. Um but women who live in more rural areas spend more time like in the natural like mm-hmm. moonlight. Um, their bodies do tend to regulate um, based on that. And so that's, again, related to your circadian rhythms as well. Mm-hmm. And and just getting your cycle to be regular because the moon phases are happening at about you know 28 days. So the more regular you are, the more likely that it's going to line up right. um, to those. Yeah, that's so interesting. And obviously, I think that the male-female hormones, like there is more kind of studies on like pheromones and like just more mm-hmm. attuned. And, but that those studies are usually typically more in like the, the sexual attraction kind of component of like you can kind of tell when yeah. someone's ovulating, right? Like they're glowing, they're more, you know, inviting, I don't know, whatever you want to say. I've heard even like more decorated. More decorated. Yeah. The, well, the- I've heard. So one, one thing that I've heard is like women, there was one study that was saying that women tend to purchase um sexier clothing when they're online shopping when they're ovulating like just the just like you know it affects your behavior yeah that's so interesting my um aunt had such an such a very interesting experience she was from australia and she moved here to canada and married my uncle this was like a long time ago obviously um and she couldn't get pregnant at all while she was in Canada and they adopted a couple of children and then they all moved back to Australia. And as soon as she was in Australia, she got pregnant twice. Mm. (laughs) I mean, there's a lot going on there, adopting and all the things women who adopt get pregnant, but (laughs) but it is interesting. These, these sort of like, like what you're saying, our body, our hormones, our psyche, they're all connected to Mm -hmm. like, like, what we're feeling internally mm-hmm. at a very unconscious level. Yeah. And that's why, you know, they kind of point to the menstrual cycle as, you know, this vital sign. It's like really this window. Like if you start seeing that you're becoming more regular, your cycle mm-hmm. length is changing significantly. Cause like a couple days here or there every month is still within mm-hmm. normal. Um, but when you start to notice those things are increasing symptoms, it points to bigger bigger issues mm-hmm. either in your lifestyle or you know kind of deeper internally yeah. as well. What about with like perimenopause and stuff when your cycle is actually kind of all over the place and mm-hmm. your hormones are a little bit all over the place as well, things are really changing. How can women navigate through that chaos? <laughs> Yeah. Um, and I think, again, this is a time where like a lot of it is reframing your perspective on what it is, because even the concept of hormones being all over the place is more of like what we're told about it, because yeah. what's happening is it's essentially like a reverse puberty. So if you think about when you're starting your cycle and your hormones 
can feel a little bit more erratic because they're working themselves up to like adult level, Mm -hmm. you know, balance, right? So when you look at the graphs of how this works, like during puberty, it's almost like this staircase as the hormones are like kind of going up and then a little down and they're working their way up to a more stable level. And then when you start entering into perimenopause, it's a similar process. It's just this like downward staircase of your hormones deregulating in a sense, like de- Mm-hmm. de-escalating. Um, and, but during that window, what's still happening is your body is still trying to ovulate every month. Mm-hmm. That's like the key, you know, all of the centers around ovulation. And so as it's going through that process, some months that won't happen. And so that's when you see like, okay, you might still have all of these emotional fluctuations because your hormones are trying to do this process. Right. But if they don't quite hit these thresholds, then you won't ovulate. And then that's when you get that longer Mm-hmm. stretch between periods and it's really this like just withdrawal bleed from mm-hmm. like you know your hormones eventually dropping off and essentially giving up on that round <laughs> um yeah. so it can feel crazy or it can feel like you know in one month you might feel yourself like trying to ovulate a couple times like emotionally where your hormones are going up and then they dip and they go up and dip mm-hmm. um so it can lead to that feeling of of you know discomfort or feeling all over the place and a higher sensitivity to it. Because I've also mm-hmm. talked to women who are entering that age window and they're like, this was never a thing. Like my period was always kind of mild. But now there's this sort of heightened uh, sensitivity because mm-hmm. they are – the goal is for them to lower down right. to once you hit menopause. And it's almost back to – it like looks almost the same as childhood levels. Yeah, wow. Which is one of my favorite kind of descriptions of menopause is that it's like a return to girlhood because it's this window where you – with the lower estrogen levels, and it's a different type of estrogen Mm -hmm. at that point. Like you no longer feel this need to be like so in a people-pleasing like outward focus. So you get to return to like who am I? What do I want to do? And you care less if that doesn't fit with other people's plans, right. which is just such a freeing, it. yeah, it's <laughs> such a freeing thing, which is nice to look forward to. Yeah, totally. On the That's other side, I hear that from women in um, in my mom's kind of community all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just going to do what I want to do, and I just don't give a shit anymore. It's such mm-hmm. a common phrase, and I think throughout history, women of a certain age have said that sort of thing. And it's so interesting to think about it. And they got burned at the stake. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Not Yeah. How societies respond to that has varied from different cultures. Sure, sure, there sure, are sure. some cultures who yeah. honored it a lot. Like the grandmothers were like yeah. such a vital part of the community because they were now not taking care of other people. So they would like, we will go on long walks and we'll pick berries and we'll bring back food and we'll, you know, yeah. just live their best lives. But it does support the community. And then obviously, yeah, there's uh, been points in history where that's been not accepted at all. Well, in these suburban communities that I'm referring to, you just basically get out, get the fuck out of their way. And just, I think that's a kind of honoring. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, and as you can imagine, that comes a big shock to men who are now like their testosterone levels are lowering. They're becoming more like more, you know, wanting Social, that connection maybe a little more, and then mellowing like, Wait a as yeah, we used they're to mellowing. say in the fifties. Yeah, yeah, it's like and a reverse role. Well, like moment. whatever, do what you want. Yeah, That's see ya. Awesome. It's, yeah, it's so funny. Harmony and I have very kind of similar parents. We both have 
dads <laughs> who don't talk and just sit there and have done it. And we're like so comfortable with being, yeah. you know, and then highly neurotic parents, mothers. <laughs> and you kind of, it, it's interesting to watch that kind of just transition to more social dads mm-hmm. and um, more, more moms are just going to do what they want to do. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And so I think how like, you know, cycle syncing, like in that process, what it can really be helpful in is learning that practice of, you know, taking stock and taking time to see like what really matters to you, especially in that perimenopausal window, like as you're Mm -hmm. transitioning to this level of freedom, because it's such a huge like identity shift when for so long your identity has been centered around whether it's your kids or maybe it's your career, these like you know, these parts of your identity. And then it's now like, oh, maybe I don't care about those things anymore or at the same level, or I'm not needed in the same way. Mm -hmm. And it can be a really good time to use the practices of, you know, when your cycle is stretched out longer, you may not necessarily be able to plan ahead for that, but you can definitely take stock and adjust your expectations and have grace with yourself in the process. And you can also lean into like, what are things that I really care about? So you can start communicating those Mm. as you lead into that window because obviously that's a big shock if you've been doing you know especially if you think about these older generations where wives did so much in the home and taking care of everyone and then they wake up one day and are like you're on your own I'm not cooking you breakfast anymore like I'm out you know and that (laughs) that can create these like rifts because that's usually right where that divorce rate happens is like yeah you know when kids go to college and then the empty nester you know that empty Mm -hmm. nester window because it's like, oh, we're not the same people and you really aren't the same people anymore. Mm-hmm. And so being the more self-aware and, and it's really cycle syncing is like this framework to be self-aware and notice these changes. And then you can, again, be collaborative and bring people in the process so that it's something that's now like, who do we want to be, you know, mm-hmm. in this new phase where I'm not being pulled in so many directions versus like arriving and being like, no, we're not on the same page at all of what, what our future looks like. And I feel like this is another opportunity to positively reframe codependency. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to collaboration? <laughs> yeah, we can just, you know, no, like we can't can. do anything apart. We're both in our different, you know, hormonal stages of life, but we're not uh, comfortable being away from each other. So we can just stay married. That's all right. Um, no. no, it really is. It's this, this practice of like learning, like, what do you need as an individual and what do we actually need together? And that's going to vary by couple too, as you get into these different phases of life of like, what, what do we need to still like ground us as a couple versus what we need on our own to do and to be. Um, And it can be a really cool time to just like explore. And and it's so much of the language around it is like the end, right? Like, oh, now Mm. you're dried up and you're, you know, like whatever, like it's over. Um, But you can have the same, if not more years in menopause than in your reproductive cycle. Right. So you right. have yeah. this is a whole like new perspective on life. Um and so that can be a really, really cool time and a really powerful time um to do all the things, you know, that you've dreamed of or new dreams. Um so again, yeah, the reframe is is so powerful in the process. Do you think that during that like perimenopause or menopausal years, it's still helpful to um, like take some rest during like with the moon phase or something? Do you think it's helpful to like incorporate sort of cycles, even if you're not cycling in the same way? 
during men- perimenopause, I would say definitely. And <laughs> that may shift some, like as you get closer to menopause where you're like, okay, I maybe have a cycle once every six months. And so you may not feel those changes, but I think even being aware of how your moods are changing, mm-hmm. even if it's not like textbook, you know, a 28 day cycle, you can still get a lot out of it as a practice and like learning to be mindful. And, and part of the what's happening is you also just get like these heightened sensitivities. So like being aware of what's affecting you, like alcohol, it's going to affect you a lot more. Caffeine affects you a lot more and it affects your sleep because uh, like melatonin production drops a little bit. So that's why like insomnia can become um, a common symptom in perimenopause. Mm especially when like no lifestyle changes are made at the same time. And so it's this like window that you really being in tune with like what your body needs and adjusting is really powerful. And then what I've heard from um, a few different women who are in men, like actually on the other side of it in menopause are like, Mm -hmm. Oh, I still feel these emotional dips. Interesting. So that not, not may not be like the whole, you know, the rest of your life, but in even the few years after you've like hit the menopause mark, your body may still be doing some of these like fluctuations. So you might still, um, at least on the emotional side of it, may be helpful just to have that awareness and and not necessarily cycle with it, but but again with setting your expectations and knowing what you need when those shifts happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but then in during menopause, like that's a time when you can shift back to almost like a circadian rhythm pattern. So you can still be honoring um, your hormones and and what's a natural rhythm for you, but it does shift more to that circadian rhythm Mm. at that point. Nice. Mm. Amazing. Mm. This has been so fascinating and so interesting. Who knew we could talk about menstruation for an hour and a half? I didn't think so. (laughs) (laughs) Tell everyone where, if they want to learn more, if they want to come to you, they're interested in like developing some habits for better better coping skills, time management, planning, all of the things that you're going to help people work on in aligning with their cycles. Where can they find you? Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram at Brianna Vegas Coaching. Um, That's the best place to connect with me. Um, I also have a podcast called Hormone Rants. um, Amazing. Yeah. That sounds like my mom. Yeah. Um, so I thought it'd be a nice sort of play on, you know, this very like idea we have of being hormonal, but also reframe that to it's very much like education based of like, yeah, these are things that no one's ever told you and you should have known <laughs> from the beginning. I love um, it. So that's another way to to learn more about what I do. Cool. So well, we're going to link it in the show notes, Hormone Rants and at Brianna Viegas. Viegas. The, on Instagram yeah. and people mm-hmm. can just reach out to you and I'm sure get a free consult or a yeah, consult absolutely. Or something. <laughs> yeah. And I'm opening up like a, uh, launching my three month, uh, coaching program soon. So you can definitely get on yeah. a call and learn more about what that actually means. I think that's the biggest question. It's like, but what do we do? What do we do? <laughs> yes. Always. Right. I'm happy to answer those questions. <laughs> You're like, mm. we're going to change your life. <laughs> Exactly. Good. Good. Well, thank you so much for coming on our show today. It was was so great. And a topic that is that is near and dear to every Ashtanga yoga woman practitioner's heart, I'm sure. 
that was good. Yeah. Yeah, it, that's that was, inc- it was incredibly stimulating. And thank you so much for sharing. And I think even really, the men got something out yeah. of it. Even the men. And <laughs> I just want to say thank you for, for coming and sharing with us. Oh, it's of really course. Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. It was a Absolutely. pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of Finding Harmony. With me, your host, Harmony Slater. You can find out more information on my website, harmonyslater.com. And I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Standing in eternity's shadow, watching the